You're listening to the Strange Fruit Podcast, where we give you the black perspective on topics that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Strange Fruit Podcast, where I am Bishop Green. Nikki Brooks. Adrian Neely. And we are going to be discussing one of the greatest bamboozle movements of all time here in America. That's right. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. The GI Bill of 1944, where Franklin D. Roosevelt signed and and pushed that thing into order. But, uh, you know, uh, the post-war housing boom almost entirely excluded black Americans most of whom remained in cities that received less and less investment from businesses and banks. Though the GI Bill guaranteed low-interest mortgages and other loans, they were not administered by the VA itself. The VA could only co-sign but not actually guarantee the loans because the states were responsible for doing so. This gave run financial institutions free reign to refuse mortgages and loans to black people. Now, when it comes to home ownership, it's a key path to wealth creation and stability for generations of Americans. It appears that now, more than 10 years after a housing bust that hit us back in 2007, you know, we're at a peak right now, but we got a long way to go, a long way ahead in the recovery for home ownership amongst black people here in America. So I know that this is a step in the right direction, but ladies and gentlemen, we must know why this lingered so long, how this happened and why this happened. Now I will go ahead and just let y'all know that many of the Dixiecrats, uh, before they moved over to the Republican party, um, they set this thing in motion. They lobbied and lobbied and lobbied. This thing was supposed to be federal regulated, but they lobbied so hard that, you know, they said, let the states be responsible for this. And therefore, when these black soldiers came back home after World War II, they were getting bamboozled, led astray, ran them up. And at that hoodwinked. White folks was white soldiers was able to <laughs> white folks was uh white soldiers was able to you know to get the get the skilled positions because they were able to uh get free um uh schooling and and, and skill trade and they were able to be uh put into these suburban homes. Many soldiers yeah. came with the promise of a home and they did not get any. So at this point I'm gonna go ahead and let my colleague talk about this, but Stay tuned. Well, you know, um, I think that the um, the the um, <clears throat> I don't even know how to. I'm trying not to get into much into too much of the redlining just yet because it's so juicy and make you really go down that rabbit hole. But I want to provide some more context of what you're talking about, uh, Bishop. You know, these soldiers coming home. We got this GI Bill that basically said, "Hey." Every if a, if a man is working and can eat, he can purchase a home for his family, and we're going to support that effort. And um, the fact that Black Americans were literally that that the the fact that white rage kicked in 
and black Americans were literally legally um, excluded from this opportunity through in spite of what the Supreme Courts may have ruled through uh, homeowners associations, through redlining and all of these stealthy, sneaky, but out in the open uh, ways to make things look good on paper or ways of doing and being right, which is a whole nother story about the obsession of America to be right even in the face of wrong. But anyway, um, or to be looking like what they're doing is good and, and not wrong. Um the the issue with it is that it's one of the biggest wealth transfers in the history of any civilization because it number one created an American middle class. Um you didn't just have rich and poor, you have a middle class now. And number two, it is one of the home ownership is the primary vehicle of stability and of leaving something for your children and children's children. It is the way that your the primary way that your family experiences the fruit of your labor <clears throat> and for everything that you, you worked for. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you denied black people that tool, that home, that they could then pass down to someone and, and at home, transfers wealth in a number of ways um i use the word transfer wealth but i actually like the term uh stability a little better because there are a number of things that can happen with a paid off home in a family number one it prevents homelessness because even people that are you know totally uh you know the totally below average in the family and are struggling and maybe they can barely make ends meet but they always have a place to go they mm-hmm. never have to be homeless, number one. Number two, um, it can be liquidated for large lump sums of cash at any mm-hmm. given time. Many people have financed their children's way through college through a home. What do you yes. do? You buy a home when you get married and when you had that baby in a year or two. And then in 20 years, you know what you do? You take out a second mortgage on that home and that kid goes to school, call it debt free. Mm-hmm. They, they go to school debt free and they come out. And you keep paying on the house to pay the loan off and then they get a job. So you get the return on the investment and the money and the wealth stays within the family. And the next generation is a that kid that comes out with that college degree that granddaddy didn't have because he was working construction or working at the post office or at the mill. Um, he just set his next generation up you know with that and then um you know the other thing um in addition to that is just also um it provides opportunities for for saving and people fall on hard times like let's say that you know they don't pay the house off and they just take off the second mortgage because they had a hard time well you know even if you know me mom papa um get sick and their social security isn't running well we can all chip in and pay that house note it's dirt cheap Right. Uh, you know, it, it, or right. we paying the we pay the taxes every year, and we we chip in and we do that, and so you know, it's um it's the number one way <clears throat> that wealth tools were robbed from black folks. Um, yeah. you can't deny the importance of homes and home ownerships and the tools associated with homes and neighborhoods because denying those tools is precisely how the hoods were made. Um, yep. It, because the hoods used, you know, used to be at one point in time stable 
good neighborhoods. But, you know, again, mm-hmm. that denial of resources, that incessant, consistent denial of allowing black folks tools that allow you to save and don't put you in a place where all you're doing is working for somebody else your whole life. And yeah. so, yeah, it's one of the biggest atrocities and it sets the large, it makes one of the biggest, strongest cases for reparations. Well, Nikki, they said at the end of uh, uh, July of 1956, they said by that time, nearly 8 million World War II veterans, you know, had received education or training and 4.3 million home loans worth $33 billion had already been handed out at that moment. Yeah. But most black vet- veterans had already been left far behind. And as far as employment goes, college attendance and wealth surge for whites and the disparities with uh, their black counterparts not only continued, but widened, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it goes it goes back to just what you said. I mean, they you know, I have no other word but bamboozle for this whole thing. I mean, they just tricked them out of they their rights just just didn't give them to them Adrian what you want to say on this man I mean it's one of those things it's just it's almost like everything else we've been talking about in this period of time like I think there's it's it's undeniable I guess is the way I, I I look at it like these things are undeniable and at least with me the thing that the maybe gives me no hope or a little hope is that I feel I find myself constantly having to explain these things to people and then have them, well, if black people would just do this and if black people would just do that. Right. And keep telling them there's story after story. Like if, and these are people, the thing that's frustrating the most is that these are people who say they read. It's not <laughs> when we talk about. Because, I mean, if we're being honest, when we think about, right. when we look at the people at the Trump rallies, and tonight is the night that maybe I fill up the swear jar and get myself in a little trouble. <laughs> because when we look at the people at the Trump rallies, when I look at them, if I'm being honest, I look mm-hmm. at those people and they don't have masks on and they're willing to gather for the Fuhrer, uh, like in in in, in a crowded space and listen to this dude be openly racist. Yeah. And later on, of course, I don't think the ones that go to the rally would try to tell us that he's not racist. They don't care because they're probably a lot of them probably racist. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are people in our circles who are probably not as much of a part of our circles as they used to be. Yeah. Who constantly I have noticed that. Yeah. And and break it down as to why Trump is not racist. And why, if black people, it's black people's fault that we don't have. Now, I believe that we are all, in some way, shape, or form, captains of our own ship to a degree. Mm-hmm. We can, we can determine how hard we work to get to something. We can make good decisions. We can do our best to uh, stay out of trouble. Do all oh, these yeah. things, you know, like there are we, things that we can do. We for can put some efforts in. Point. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly, and certainly. I think too often the discussion is diminished to, well, obviously y'all aren't doing what we're doing or you'd be in this position. Exactly. Yes. And that's what that's what frustrates me. That's that's where I get less of, I'm trying to come at you like an intelligence person, intelligent person, and more like, well, this is why you suck, you know? And yes. So, 
Exactly. And, you know, because we, I know the three of us definitely all went to college, worked hard, graduated, did what we felt was necessary to get ahead. Uh-huh. Um, and then began and, and, and tried to continue to grow and move and become productive members of society. Uh-huh. So we are not, we're all product of semi-middle class, you know, maybe, you know, somewhere in there, like middle class parents, parents worked, parents, you know, had good jobs. Parents did, did what they could to make sure that we were, um, taken care of and and had opportunities and parents exposed us all three of us are relatively well exposed to to you know stuff that you know, the arts and 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 uh maybe politics maybe some yeah. history some you know our, you know we had people who were interested in making sure we had we, we were well well-rounded mm-hmm. right um, so it's not that so so when i listen to people talk like that it is it's definitely from a place of privilege like almost all these discussions are but it's also just it's also just blatantly racist to oh, yeah. try to be try to assume that we as a collective are not working hard enough to get something and where you where were you and, and we're always called sensitive or victims or engaging in victimhood or having yes. a victim mentality and no that's not the case. When I'm talking to people, I'm like, there's nothing wrong. And I have to say this to these people. A lot of times there's nothing wrong with calling out inequity and calling it what it is. And if America ever came to a place where we could have an honest conversation about it, then there would be no way if we were being honest. Now, right. now most of the, most of these discussions are from such a dishonest place when we're engaging with with people but if most of most of americans were being honest and coming from an honest place they'd have to acknowledge that if you went through history and you examined all of these instances and i know nikki was like she's waiting on redlining because it's such a juicy piece <laughs> of it but if you just it's like everything we've talked about everything we've read we're reading several books right now um and just when you think you have, like, I, I feel like I've developed a decent little store of history that I can break out, you know, each time. I think we all have that in our pocket now. Like, oh, oh, what about this? What about this? Yeah. Because people are going to try to get you. So we it's become like a defense mechanism. Oh, no, no, I got you there. You can't say that because what you're saying is disingenuous. It's fake. It's not real. But, Adrian, can you imagine how they felt after, you know, being when in you, a world, in a when world you, when war? You go to the same war. And even if yeah. we talk about, you remember, because we all, I think we all shared that same story, because I know that story was shared with me about the soldiers in the town, uh, the black soldiers oh in the town. Oh, my God. And, and I read Europe, this morning. Yeah. Yeah. How Europe wow. didn't have segregation. And when I saw you posting, I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to share that story like a few days ago, because my friend had sent it to me. I had never heard that story. And, and that's the thing. You never, every time you think you've heard the worst story you've ever heard, when, when people are sharing black history stories with you, somebody's like, oh, no, hold my beer. Yeah. I got a worse story. Um, but you think about, like, people keep trying to tell you that America isn't built on racism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but mm-hmm. the, America was so racist that they went to another country 
These American soldiers were so racist, they went to another country and got mad that the other country wasn't as racist as they were. Yeah, that that's some that's some racism for you. Literally, like you said, got mad that the other country was not as racist. Like, who does that? Right. Yeah, who does it? Right. And so there's just this sense of the the when I when I look at everything that I, when I think about all the things that people consider wholly American, this is America, and for you not to acknowledge racism as just like one of the core, I'll call it a value of America, like it is something some people hold so dear to them, and some people um, hold it openly and put it in your face, and some people hold it close to their heart. Um, and don't let it out, but then like all the people who are like, well, but do you have to tear the statues down? Why were they ever put up? It's it's just like we, our discussions with the N-word. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you could have that discussion about anything. Now, somebody would always, but, 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 because they're going to hold on to their position. And they're, they're, it's their privilege to be wrong. But like there, somebody is going to keep battling you on that. But in actuality, it's like you could almost ask that about anything. Like, you know, somebody's talk, talking about why can black people say the N-word and we can't. Why do you want to say it so bad? These statues shouldn't be torn down. They're part of history. Actually, they're not real history. Actually, they're fake. They were put up way after the war. They were put up to change the narrative about the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Why, do you, why do you want to leave the statues up so, so badly if you know that it's not an honest portrayal of history? Like, yep. so because those statues were meant to oppress and and to show yeah. their dominance, uh, because as they always felt, uh, uh, as we you know, d- you know, we discussed before, yeah, uh, you know, the Confederacy, you know, they stated we were the inferior uh, race, you know, just bottom line. Yeah, yeah. So and, you once know, again, they, even... they put these statues up to again show our dominance show you know that's the thing about this country you know I, I i do love my country i'm not gonna say that i don't but at the same time you know we have to be careful about being over um uh zealous and over confident uh with this country because you know we we go to these about other countries heroes and regular people i mean and yeah. we try to make them feel small in their own country you know, and it's yeah. something. I mean, I've heard this from from foreigners. You know, you Americans, you're very cocky and da 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 da. And I'm just like, man, you know, I've never been overseas, so I don't know. You know, but at the mm. same time, these are things I've heard from foreigners that that have you know visited over here. And uh, so, you know, uh, again, Adrian, um, my thing is, they fought this war and came back expecting to move into these nice suburbs and. They're told, no, you can't, you can't get this um, because you're black, you know. Well, but, I mean, but, but that, that is also the thing that caused that my grandfather had to run away from Mississippi for that he was mm. threatened to be tarred and feathered over because all of my grandfather was a general contractor. Yes, my grandfather's a general contractor, so he built homes, basically poor concrete foundations and stuff. Um, but back. Uh, then the story is that um, he went to uh, housing development and essentially was basically saying, you know, well, obviously he in Mississippi, he was not going to be allowed to do it. But because he, um, you know, was like, well, you know, actually, I'm a veteran, blah, blah, blah. Um, when he was accused of being uppity. So as he left, 
basically the Klansman accused him of whistling at a white woman, which was not Whoa. true. Obviously, it was not true but at that, all. They're, but they're, that they're was the, that was the dog whistle. Yeah, that's how they, yeah. That's how they, Nikki, that was, Nikki that you said the, you said Mississippi, right? Mississippi, my grandfather, my mom's uh, okay. father. What, that's funny you said that. Not to cut you off, but uh-huh. uh, it was a Mississippi congressman. His name was John Rankin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he lobbied hard to get the federal uh, government out of out the way. He didn't want them. He didn't want them. Yeah, he uh, wanted the state, no, right. because make, they wanted the state to, to make the decision. They wanted to lynch Negroes unfettered and unchecked. Yeah, yeah. You wow. know, Mississippi has kind of like these cops that walk off of the job. Excuse me, but you yeah. know, like like the same thing. Like, what? We can't beat black people up no more. We can't shoot. I mean, well, I can't well, choke. Well, I can't choke cold a Negro. Right? Yeah. Let me quit. My grandfather was accused of whistling at a uh, white woman and basically giving like 24 hours to get out of town. The Klan was coming to tar and feather him. So here's where where some privilege kicks in because he, you know, there were exceptional black people. He was able to flee in the middle of the night with his pregnant wife and five kids to Ohio, meaning that he also left everything. Um, and then yeah. it did die down. Um, and my grandmother came back, um, depend on who tell the story, you know, she came <laughs> back in two years, you know, it's all verbal oral history. She came back about two years <laughs> later. My grandfather came back sometime within three to five years and basically started over. Now my grandfather as a successful contractor still was able to, by working, my grandfather was 90, still getting up, going to pour concrete and working. Oh, my Lord. And, um, he worked for himself and so and employed multiple people. Uh, my grandfather poured the uh, slab of the Jackson Mall um, and um, in Mississippi, and essentially the and every child he had ten. Every child basically he was able to give a home to or money for mm-hmm. a home. Uh, now here's the here's the the trip though. Even with free homes in Mississippi, the economy is so dang on bad. You know, like it's just that bad um, mm. that you know uh, a home has not necessarily meant wealth for anybody. You know what I'm right. saying? It's just meant you got a place to stay, you gotta, and you, you ain't got a place got to, to lay your head, right? And you ain't, you know, you always got somewhere to go. And but you so, know what, Nikki? Yeah. That gives you self worth. You know, yeah. And screw the network, right? But my thing is that when I think about how smart my grandfather was um, with mm-hmm. basically he was the oldest, um, his our siblings call him uncle brother, eighth grade education and really partial eighth grade because they share cropped. So granddaddy gotcha. pretty much, you know, he's the one dropped out of school, made sure everybody was provided for and taken care of. He took care of his own household as well as his sisters and, and helped, you know, like my parents tell my, my mom tells stories of like, if my grandfather would slaughter a pig, for the most part, the whole family's coming over and getting meat and things like that. They come get chickens and all of that stuff, you know, um, cause my grandfather, you know, was basically uncle brother, um, being the oldest, um, son. And so, you know, when I think about everything that he did, how hard he worked and, um, when you just think about I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of my family and what, what you know on both sides of my family how hard both of my grandfathers worked but what they worked and what they started with and what they had number one where would our family be if there had not wow. been barriers because I was with my yeah. grandfather when you know we call his uh, you know house we call it the farm because it was a farm 
I was with my grandfather when he would go down to the Department of Agriculture and they would, you know, basically, ah, Mr. Albert, you know, we don't want you getting in trouble. We don't want this, you know, for a color, the blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, when I was a, a, a young teen, you know, tween to 11 to 13 ish kind of age, um, where basically systematically denied the ability to get into the agriculture. Forget the fact that my grandfather grew everything. We literally had fields of corn, purple hull peas, yellow watermelons, uh, as well as red watermelons. Anything you can think of, greens, tomatoes, all of that. Um, <laughs> grass was cut on tractors. Um, mm. and it took When they got ready to cut the grass, it took a week of all day from sunup to sundown of cutting grass to get the grass cut on the land so my point is just that you know and then on top of that when you have the the systemic things in place that were put in place that really came and robbed the next generation of some different next level opportunities for the work that my grandfather did there's no reason he shouldn't be in upper echelon you know establish a construction company you know um it wasn't though because black folk were pretty much denied that ability you know even in bidding and things i know that there were things that went on with bidding on jobs and various things like that where um, having to underbid, having to latch a bid onto someone else because you're black, having to subcontract stuff because they don't want to give it to you. Just all of those different things that went on that literally uh, were the types of things that robbed wealth. They robbed wealth in a major, major way. And so, you know, um, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> the, the the discrimination was big. I mean, I went into that story about my grandfather. I, mean, I was trying to, you know, really talk about the housing no, no, no. discrimination. Yeah, and um yeah. and the thing about the housing discrimination is that it's still going on today. Yes, exactly. You know, when you look at the number of the, the Department of Justice and just the number of um of lawsuits against with the Fair Housing Act. In addition, the banking industry, the banking industry is a huge, um, what is the word, enabler enabler and co-conspirator in this uh, hoarding and this, you know, preventing wealth from going to black folks through ownership. You know, they they had to, you had to have a coast, the the government could co-sign, I believe was the way it worked, right? But Mm -hmm. they couldn't, they didn't give out the loans. The bank still gave the loans. Right. So the bank just deny black people just simple as that just well, straight up and they're, they're still doing it today yeah. you know yeah. oh yeah the, they still oh yeah oh you yeah. know you have uh, almost every major bank in the just in the last 3 years nearly every major bank JP Morgan Chase Wells Fargo Bank of America has had Don't you to say that R word don't say the R word Nikki they have had to pay <laughs> out Don't you say that R word they've had to pay out huge huge uh discrimination lawsuits because of unfair lending practices either they mm. have been surrounded yeah. by them not uh where black people being denied mm-hmm. this um at rates three and a half times more than other other groups or black people um getting inferior products like so you giving them the adjustable rate mortgage even though their profile 
is better than the other one. Black people, we, you know, being made to go through hoops. And, you know, one thing I always ask people about that banking industry, I say, you know, when's the last time you met an underwriter? You meet the loan officer all day long. Yep. You know your name and all of that stuff. Going to give you kids candy when you go to the bank. But you don't know who that underwriter is. You don't see their face. Mm-hmm. And often that's the barrier that people go through. The loan officer is giving you a very nice snow or a very nice, hey, we need a little bit more this and a little bit more that. Because the underwriter said why don't you have a relationship with the underwriter that is where the discrimination takes place and then you when you look at neighborhoods and you see that you know i know we've talked about it before um and I, i've talked about it quite a bit and i think we talked about it on here when i talk about tribalism where people are unable to black folks have been traditionally unable to group up with uh the same t- into neighborhoods according to their class and what they earn they all been yeah. grouped and lumped into the same spot as opposed to being able to group out like the rest of America does. And you see this or the rest of a group. So you see this where you have, you know, when you run demographics on neighborhoods and when you look at, you know, the side, the family size, the uh, the type of work, the um, the well, really family size and median income is what you look at, which also equates to like the working people in the household, working adults in the household. Most of those things should match in a neighborhood. If the houses are 80 to 150, that demographic should all look the same because it's based on affordability. But when you start uncovering that, you'll see that the black families, you know, the 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 white and Hispanic families that live in the neighborhood with houses up to 150 may make about 40,000 to 50,000 dollars and they're able to or you know 40 to 65,000 dollars a year whereas the black families are making 150 and two two income households right. in the same neighborhood. Well, the other the mm-hmm. other demographics that match those black folks are living in the gated community with 3,500 to 5,000 square feet. How? Wow. So that is where the banking industry comes in and is a co-conspirator in this, you know, consistent resistance to black progress. Do I think that it is like one individual at the bank saying, I ain't gonna loan them black folks nothing. I don't I don't know if it's that anymore. I, I think it probably stopped being that in the nineties whenever we start turning into more mobile banking. Well, what, early mm-hmm. 2000s when we start going from more personal banking to mobile. But I do believe that there are still those systems in place with the R word, you know, that at this point oh, yeah. have now become so saturated that they are considered to be truth and they're considered to be wisdom and in investing and all of that stuff. And I believe that, you know, of course, when you couple that with some of the other things that have happened in those redlined areas, you know. Oh, there we go. We said yeah. to go. Some there of those things that have been happened in those areas, uh, you know, it's not coincidental that a lot of these areas, when they first started this, were decent black residential neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and now they the hood? Mm-hmm. How? How, Sway? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, you know, well, Trump last week, you know, he's targeting hoods, uh, affirmatively uh, furthering fair housing rule. I mean, he's yep. talking about ending it. I mean, right now. So, yeah, there are systems in place. You know, uh, I guess he kicked uh, Uncle Ben to the curb. <laughs> you know, he, he's talking about this as a, you know, uh, lowering uh, uh, 
suburban home, you know, wealth. And, uh, you know, yeah, you know, which is really sneaky. Exactly. Oh, exactly. When I first read the article and the way he put that, I, that's when I really just was like, you know what? I'm through with people telling me, trying to equivocate for this dude and tell me he's not racist. Like, I'm so sick of of them trying to do that because when you say, oh, it's bringing down the worth of the neighborhood, that is such an old time it's, yes. it's old timey racism it's not even it, it it's not is even trying to hide it man let me tell you let me tell you Twitter, he tweeted this y'all last week he racism. tweeted at the request of many great americans who live in the suburbs and others he says i am studying the affh housing regulation that having a devastating impact on these once thriving mm. suburban areas, Corru- you know, I mean, man, wow. that's just corrupt. It's that's always just corrupt. that kind of language. It's always that. And kind then of he language. goes, then Joe Biden. Joe Biden wants to make them much worse, not fair to homeowners. I may end. I mean, this dude. <laughs> you know, I'm just like this dude. So you wonder why? As I just I stated earlier. Black home ownership has taken a small gain. Okay. So it's, you know, we're starting to trend up a little bit, not a lot, a little bit. And he's already in here trying to, you know, cap us, cap us down. You know, it's just like, this is ridiculous, you know, and this is where I get back to the point of, is he a racist or not? Well, he's not going to come out and say the N word. Okay. He is that Which smart. is what most people equate with. Right, 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 right. Like I mean, unless he just comes out and drops the granddaddy word of all granddaddy racist words he, for a black a, person. He's a bigot. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Very much so. Exactly. So, you know, you can't keep sitting up here telling me how Christian. I had some folks tell me last week, you know, that uh, I, I said, hey, this man is not spiritual. There's nothing spiritual about this man. And I, I had, a, I had a, a dear friend that jumped to his defense on that. Well, I, I disagree. And I was just like, you know, you know, you can disagree. I mean, but he's not following discipleship. He's not following Christ's teachings. He's not following that. You can see that in just how he is. I mean, hell, the man came out of his house, got in his limo and had people pelted as he was going to go and make a, a, a you know, a photo op at this church that his, his ass hadn't even shown up to since inauguration. I mean, when, the, when bishop the bishop of the church tell you, upset, he ain't yeah, been there the, since inauguration. When okay. the pastors are upset, that should let you know something. There you go. And I mean, yeah. Me, he's he's like, and, and then a lot of pastors, there is a contingent, and, and I think that's what I have to remind myself of. There is a contingent of pastors that admit that he's not spiritual and are really anti-Trump as far as like they feel like getting in bed with him, which I'm starting to feel like is literal in some cases, the way these dudes act, getting in bed with Trump is um, is actually doing a great detriment to their ministry. There's a book called The Spiritual Danger of Trump, I believe is the name of the book. Um, mm. uh, and because and, and, it's that, I mean, and I believe it should be to these pastors. It should be because, we, you know, we, we've talked to We've talked about it, I believe, in in the group, right? And um, also, I've heard several people. Yeah, the spiritual danger of Donald Trump. 
talk about church membership being down, particularly among millennials. And yeah. so mm. if if we look at kind of like what people say about millennials, millennials are looking at this and they're like, well, if I'm going to, if this is who the church is co-signing on and I know what the church is supposed to stand for versus what it actually does, then I don't see the point of me going because I'm basically, basically, you know, we're the same. Right. See, because the yeah. whole thing about church is that you, people should be able to see a difference. There yeah. you go. And you, you know, it's supposed to be like you're supposed to be to see, see the, be able to see the Jesus in someone else. If that's, that's right. not the case, that's right. Then, and, and I honestly, in in my discussions with some people, I can't hide my disdain for that that particular faction of the evangelical movement. You can't. I believe there are ministers who really care about people. I, I still believe that. I still believe there are people out there like that. Uh, and they may hold some conservative views, um, but they, in their hearts and in their teaching and in the way they approach everything, they really care about people still. I believe um, there are pastors, and unfortunately, I'm in the hub of, of uh, a lot of them. Uh, oh, yeah. There are pastors that really have hitched their wagon to Trump and will not let go. They're, they're not they're, going and they, to. And, and it's got to be, to me, you can't listen to him and you can't watch him and, and see how he treats people, see how he talks about people, understand his history, all of those things. You can't do that and then hit your wagon to him strictly because you feel like he's going to, um, that there's, he's going to pass laws and policy that you agree with. To me, it's got to be about these dudes really want position in in seats of power. They want positions in the government um, because of their behavior towards him. Um, like, yeah, like I feel like that's why they 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 want to be close to him. They feel like this dude will get me in position. Um. For the love of money. Um, yeah, this dude's going to get me in position to do some things that I want to do. This dude's going to get me in a power position. It's not spiritual. And and so the more I look, at least in my, that's the way I've reconciled it with myself. Like, I can't, right. I can't believe that this is, like, as a Christian, I can't look at that and say, that's what God wants. I can't look mm-hmm. at Trump and say, this is what God wants from people. So um, I've just... It's kind of heartening in a way to at least know that, okay, this ain't everybody. Like, there are people, there are Christians who will actually acknowledge that, the pastors that will actually acknowledge it. No, this is this is bad. <laughs> you know, he's bad. Yeah. He's bad for Christianity. He's bad for the movement. He's bad for, you know. So, but it, it is very tough to watch. It's very, oh, yeah. Oh, very yeah. disheartening. Well, my thing is, is uh, the disparities that... Uh, you know, that we're still seeing, uh, you know, as you stated, you know, people, you know, tell you guys, Nikki, they, I'm, I'm sure you heard that um, people tell you, well, you know, if you work harder and all, as Adrian, you know, stated earlier, I mean, this just goes to show you how far the deep hate goes when they don't want you to get a leg up. They will create their own uh, monopolies and rules and, and and change as they go or change as they see fit to keep yeah. you know to 
to keep you down and it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon, but you know, I can't, I can't tell you the future on, on these things. You know, who am I to predict these things? You know, I don't know, you know, cause I surely didn't think coronavirus was going to be, you know, tearing up these streets, you know, uh, these folks, you know, uh, are majorly affected by this uh, pandemic and everything. But with the pandemic that we got going on, we're also having to fight another pandemic that we thought was going to kind of subside, and it and it has not. So we fighting yeah. two wars it's a, it's instead a doubling of doubling down. I'm telling you. Yeah. So it, it's a little different for us because here we are, you know, going through these these times, and you're, you're having to stay safe, you're having to stay healthy, and then oh, let's let's make sure that you know we don't get shot or uh, hung because lately there's been. <laughs> a bunch of hangings a going lot on. Of that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and every one of them is suicide. You know, they're they're you know they're making that statement. You know, this is yeah. I think we've talked offline about why I think that is. Yeah, I yeah. They're calling yeah. it that. You know, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's telling that when the when people are asking for police reform, first of all, you have these people talking about, oh, so we're going to just defund the police and get rid of. Um, no, I believe the defund the police is not a good way to say it, but I also believe that people being purposely obtuse is on my nerves. That's my new phrase when I, people are just on my nerves. Like, you know what we're talking about. You know what people are saying. You know it's not completely defund. You know the police, if anything, is overfunded compared to other programs in, in cities and towns. You know that they by far surpass funding for any other entity. So they can, they can, there's no reason for the police to be militarized. Uh, they, yeah. most, you know, the people, most of the cases they're handling are not, you're, you're not going up against a small foreign country. You're going up against somebody, <laughs> you're, you're, you're answering a domestic disturbance call. There's no reason you need a freaking rocket launcher or a tank. No, you right, need to, right. Y'all need to chill out. And then you got, but in the meantime, in those over policed areas, you have, the, the schools are in the worst shape. Right. And and of course that that that's because the R word also, you know, oh, we can go and say it now. Because yeah, I want to hear Nikki. I want to hear Nikki's take on that. <laughs> yeah. So the R word, yeah, the, those are the areas that were previously redlined. So of course the property tax How will we ever you got from those schools. get past redlining? How will we eradicate it? I would love to see this happen in my lifetime. Because it is truly a cancer to the black culture, the black communities. It is a it is a cancer. I mean, it's because it's not things. about how hard you work. How, it's not about how question. good you are at your job. It's maybe, about maybe, where you live. Yeah. Maybe it is an issue of here's my question. Maybe it is revamping and I don't know if it'll ever happen, what banking is and what it means. Because where I struggle is, how was a home an investment for a bank when, how does a how does it continually benefit them or supposed to benefit them when the home is supposed to be purchased as an investment for the person? You understand what I'm saying? Now, wow. I, know, yep. I, I know why, you know, like, like so to me whenever if the home ownership is for the individual it doesn't matter where the bank uh 
invest or where the bank loans because they're still going to make money off of the product. I mean, if you think about it in the framework of like just the beginning of when suburbs started, Levittown, okay, that they, they set the standard mm. for what suburbs were. Yeah. And, you know, even though the Supreme Court said veterans and the Veterans Administration and FHA said veterans, they used the HOAs as a covenant restricted deeded community to keep black folks out. So, and then, mm. of course, it's happened all over America and stuff and then cut the red line. But my thing is that, okay. Um, let's say that, um, you know, the bank, you come to the white suburb, you're a white veteran, and you're going to purchase a home. The bank is going to make their money off of the interest rate that they charge you for 30 years. That's right. Um, they gonna make that money anywhere. Right. Because they yeah. gonna make that money off of the, the money they make off of the man, you know, that is working at the steel mill Levittown to pay his mortgage it's the same money they're going to make uh you know if you say the investment is less maybe the houses don't cost as much maybe you jack up the interest rate i don't know but it's the same money that you're going to make in the red line dairy that's right and here's the here's the thing you still make the money because what you do is the house in the red line area you sold it to a white man that's a loan shark who is now turning around and own a financing it to black folks. Yeah, there you go. Taking his, so I don't understand. You still have a mortgage on the house, whether the house was in the hood or whether the house was in the burbs. So how right. is it a bad investment? So to me, the only way that you're really going to be able to eradicate this is, is to face that particular lie head on. Because the homes that are in the hood are still owned. That's right. They being rented out. They still owned by somebody. So, so again, I, again, I they still got a mortgage on them. They ain't built them cash. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand risk. I understand low risk, smart risk, high risk. I get all of that. I, uh, listen, I, I get those tangibles. I'm not sitting here telling banks, "Hey, let's let's just get rid of this uh, this scale." No, I understand there's risk, but it can't be because. You know, I live over here. Is it here. more well, risk with a house than it is with a car? Come on now, you can't run off with the house. But they'll, they'll, they'll. Hey, they'll finance you for a car quick. You know my granddaddy you? told my granddaddy told me that it because is cars depreciate. Exactly, like, he, that's gonna, exactly what he said. Being okay, cars, cars. If you think cars are not an investment, so of course, no car. A right. home technically is considered to be an investment because you can pull some equity out of it eventually. But even that, I mean, for a while, I remember in 2008, there was a lot of reconsideration of what the American dream actually was. Mm-hmm. Was, was home ownership really Is a, home ownership a, a part really of the American yeah. dream? Is that really what you want? Is that really what, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk about that. Michelle and I had that discussion. Like, is this? Is this Man, know? I missed that. Uh, <laughs> Where was I? Well, I mean, it was just you know the, the financials crash came and people were losing their homes left and right. And, you know, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Every, yeah, people were underwater, and it was like this didn't come up. And you know, there's always the conspiracy mindset, which I believe a lot of conspiracies they're based just like stereotypes. There's some facts within that. You know, people say, "Oh, well, every stereotype's based on a little bit of truth or whatever." You know, same thing with conspiracies. Like every conspiracy. There's a little something, right? But, but like, I always think that 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 the true wealthy people 
in the United States are not wealthy. Not then most of their wealth is not coming from the things that we figure help you gain wealth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like now, home ownership to me is important to have something to pass down to your kids. If you can get that home paid off and you can do whatever and you own that home and you can pull equity out of that home, you can put your kids through, through college with that home, you can leave that to your children so they, they don't start off behind the eight ball, um, then I, I believe then it works for you. But I also believe above and beyond, and like Nikki said, we probably shouldn't call it wealth, but Stability. I call it I call it recurring stability. revenue. That's the way I I look yeah. at it. It's like it's it's ongoing. It's you're paying yourself by investing that way. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, in the end of the whole thing, I don't know how we can. If there is, I don't know if there's a group out there, uh, an organization out there that's you know solely fights this one it's thing. It's got to be a part of reparations, Bishop. Again, to me, this goes back into the argument about reparations and how deep it is, and how you know, again, reparations is not necessarily. Now, I do believe you got to cut the checks and go and put my money in my hand. Go and put my granddaddy money in my hand, okay? Because uh, he would have he would have put it in my hand. However, mm-hmm. for those who are like, well, you know, I mean, what does it mean with cash? You know what? No, you don't have to have cash. A huge, part of, a huge part of reparations could be things like create a committee and that fund committees and organizations that go in actually edit a lot of these banks and analyze them. Go in and make housing and housing, you know, you need to if you can afford to to rent, you can afford to buy, and that that yeah. could be that that could be a really nice equalizing black folk rule. Yeah. If you can afford to rent, you can afford to buy, and all of these and them and and the type of product that you have, you choose the products you have. The type product, the type of mortgage product you have is one specific fair set rate product. No changes, no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. There's an organization called NACA. And NACA, I don't know if you've heard of it, but NACA qualifies people for homes based on what they pay in rent. They have okay, got so Nikki, much say that, money. Say that, that one more time for the listeners. That, that it's called NACA. NACA. Okay. N-A-C-A. Okay. And NACA um, qualifies. They, they used to work with Bank of America. It's been a couple of years. I have to look them up. But basically, they do. They qualify you for a home based off what you pay in rent. So, in other words, if you can, um, if you pay a thousand dollars a month in rent, um, NACA works with you to create like an alternate credit pro- profile with all of your rental payments. You have to have so much money saved. I believe it's like three months, I think, of home housing expenses or something. But they basically work to qualify you in a non-traditional way now it's very competitive well not competitive it's just a long wait list and a lot of people struggle with it but ultimately people get homes through NACA Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. you can take a very similar concept make it less strenuous and say okay we don't really care you know we're not looking at a whole bunch of like you know whatever debt to income ratio and different things like that because a lot of that goes out the window if you've been paying rent for 10 years right you can't tell me that you can't afford couldn't have been paying a house note all that time you could have been paying a house note all that time now if you're paying a thousand dollars in rent 
maybe you should only be paying an $800 house note so that you can save 200 a month. I don't really know what that right. formula necessarily is, but there's no such thing as someone who pays for a place to live not being able to afford a home. It is all about the type of home that they can afford. What right. is an affordable home for them? And right. so those types of things, I think, can those are very tangible reparation type programs that can be doled out. And technically, if they did it, you know, I hate to say this openly, you know, I don't know, we, you know, our million listeners is coming. So, you know, somebody <laughs> might steal the idea. But the whole thing is that technically it's even thing programs like that can really be win-win for corporations because you can put those reparations in and you can make that kickbacks for lenders. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? You can make Mm -hmm. kickbacks for organizations and schools and different things like that. So my point is that that is a way that you can eradicate that by doing something drastic to make up for the gap. In other words, what you did with the GI bill and that black folks couldn't do then do it with the do it with those veterans descendants now. That's right. Which you didn't right. do then, do it now. That's right. And 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 leave it at that. And and here's the thing, and make it equitable. Don't be out here having, you know, uh two income people that's making $180,000 a year to professionals and you put them in how tell them they can't afford nothing but that's 150. Now, if everybody else can afford Four fifty and six hundred on that, they get it too. That's right. You know That's what right. I mean. You did. You right. you put be make it legitimately equitable. Give black folks the same access to the products, the mortgage products that you give. You know, white folks those balloon mortgages where you have the um like a ten ten eighty where someone um I have several friends who are teachers who did this and I was shocked because I had no idea. One of them blew the whistle and told me and I was like, wow. Apparently you got you know gotta have a pretty decent credit score to do it, but you can do a mortgage where essentially for 10 years you pay principal only. And at the end of the 10 years a balloon payment is due. So that means a teacher who let's say traditionally she can afford, you know, I, y'all got to help me do the math because I ain't doing it right off the top of my head. Let's say that a teacher can get a home that is $150,000. So it's $1,500 a month. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take it up to $1,800. It's $1,800 a month. $1,500 of it is principal. $300 is interest. Well, the adjustable rate balloon mortgage flips it, and for 10 years, she's only paying interest of a house note. So that means she may get that house, but she's only paying $300 for See 10 what I'm years. saying? Exactly. And then at the end of 10 years, everything is due. But you know what she does at the end of 10 years? Because she bought in a brand new subdivision in the development, she sells it in eight. And she mm-hmm. gets equity out of it, and then she goes and buys the next thing. Mm-hmm. So she got a product that gives her a leg up because you know what? Even though she may not have built a huge amount of equity in a home that she's only paying interest in, she also is saving all that money. Right. Mm, right. She ain't eating up her whole check paying her and being house poor. See, it's all these different things out here, you know, that that are that are done in conjunction with the redlining that can be reversed by um, that can be countered with aggressive and progressive mandates that are directed specifically at black Americans and the descendants of slaves, period. 
that will not happen because of who's in office and because of the people we talk to. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, gloomy, that's the gloomy gussiness that we talked about before the show. <laughs> I, here, I, comes I, glo- here comes gloomy Adrian. Yeah, here do, 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 do. <laughs> Nikki has died of dysentery. Right. <laughs> I just... Whenever we had discussions, I'm like, all right, black people, but yeah, we're serious. But Nikki, Nikki, Adrian, let me, I got to ask y'all this question because I, I was talking to Nikki uh, earlier and, and I got to ask y'all this question so that our listeners can, can hear. I mean, I stated that this, this devastation of this bill, in my eyes, in my point of view, it, it looks like it set us back about 30 years. Now, Nikki, you stated you thought it was almost what? I think it said it's about a good back at least 60. Yeah, but yeah. it depends on. I mean, because I really, I think that what will show us how far set back we are is when, if, if like, let's say, per se, Biden gets in the office, like, um, like what is he going to do to to kind of, I mean, because just like Trump can set us back in one fell swoop. Say he oh, got he, somebody he's working in on office. It. Oh, he's trying very hard. Like, um, he's he's trying to get to, it like, cause he's trying to get to to Lincoln. He's trying to get get us back to emancipation. Well, well you got to remember, well, he's and, trying and to make way, it great again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Lincoln, was punk. <laughs> Lincoln wasn't that cool either. Like when we really, no. when you really study history, but we'll talk about that some other time. No, we 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 go. Nah, he wasn't that cool. We go. We gonna leave it alone. Like we keep. We talk about great emancipation. He wasn't that great. He was just a, a dude with a mole and a beard. But like, basically, like when we talk about like like, the, so I feel like if if somebody got in office who wasn't Trump, it it would depend on how, let's say, observant for lack of a better word, they were, and if they could say, then reverse what it. Just like Trump came in and tried to undo everything Obama did because he's jealous of Obama. If somebody came in and was like, man, this dude was screwing up. We just got to unscrew this up. And they try to fix all the stuff that Trump was screwing up. Maybe we don't get set back. But I feel like I feel like Joseph, Joe Biden is, I'm going to call him by his Christian name. I feel like Joe Biden. <laughs> Josephine. Yeah. <laughs> Josephus Biden. Joseph yeah. Biden, uh, uh, but no, I feel like he's going to I feel like he's gonna go in. I feel like. Can I can I go off on a little tangent? Okay, go ahead. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here, here it come. Y'all want to hear? Here it go. <laughs> but I feel like. See, the problem is, is that black people are like at this point in time, we we are kind of just. It's like we've always been. We it, it's, it's you know we take. It's always the lesser of two evils, or this is not as bad. This this one doesn't suck as bad as this one. But if we're really honest, the system is kind of is not even kind of the system is racist on both sides, and it's just like, do you want um, kind of democratic diet racist, or do you <laughs> want like, do you want just full on racist buffet of the Republicans? Yeah. And yes. so like yes. you know just because the the Republicans you know there's an N word salad over here, and there's maybe a little bit of you know whatever else and then so so the problem is that when you have those choices like the like like technically joe biden isn't inclined to do anything for you you know what i mean and technically he's not inclined to do anything for you and i see your message bishop bishop so i'm gonna try to make it quick uh but (laughs) 
he's not inclined to do anything because he feels like, and this this goes into a whole other discussion. Like every time we have a discussion, I think about seven other discussions we should have at some point just to get to this. But it goes to the the whole idea that when these people run, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton before him, it was because they felt like it's my time to run. Why wouldn't I run? I'm supposed to run right at this moment. It's my. It's almost like it's my birthright. It's my right. It's, my yes. Moment. Yes. So, this is what I've chosen so, to do. Yeah, they're not running because they really have plans to do anything grandiose. They're running because they feel like they should. They should. They should get to be president at least once. Just like we might do something, and we feel like you know I should be boss. They feel like. When you look at the decisions people make, you know, and things, you, you, you're judging their decisions. And really, it's more of like, it's almost like being king and queen or queen of England. It's like a figurehead position. Like, I just want, I, I want to be in that place. But it's not really the, the idea that I want to do anything while I'm there. And especially, I feel like in the case of Joe Biden, he feels like he's been second to everybody else. He's, he's run a couple of times. He ran before Barack Obama. You know, he, he Barack Obama pulled him in because he was the safe pick that made everybody feel comfortable with letting him be president mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so so it, it's like with and that i feel like is as much of a problem as having now we've got a full-blown racist in there we've got a it's basically a klansman in office and or, or whatever whatever's worse him, him and his posse yeah yeah whatever's worse than a klansman that's what trump is uh and so oh yeah yeah so so we've got that in office, and so the detriment to black people has always been that you, if you get somebody, like if you think about it, it was Reagan, you know, and then uh, let's see, it was Carter, then Reagan, mm-hmm. and it was, after Reagan was Bush, right? Yeah, Bush, Bush, Bush Senior, yeah, Bush Senior, who really wasn't a terrible president, but he wasn't gonna undo whatever Reagan did, he, not enough of it, or he wasn't gonna that not enough was gonna change between him and Reagan. And, and that man got us in a war. Yeah, yeah. And, and Reagan committed treason. They don't, nobody. Reagan was voted the greatest American. Reagan committed treason. Reagan, Reagan was a huge racist. Reagan was behind oh, yeah. treason. Reagan had a, is a huge part of why the Black Panthers eventually fell apart. Like Reagan mm-hmm. is in a bunch of different stories, and he's and they're all trash. He's a trash individual. Yeah. And, and so, so basically. Like, I, I mean, I agree. I do. No, I do agree. I think oh, we yeah. glorify these presidents, you know, you know, after they get out, we glorify them. And, you know, I don't know it's if, like, I don't know if let's call it black people ever glorified Reagan. I think it, black people always knew he was garbage. The, the, yeah, the, the conservative people. Yeah. If you drop crack, if you were the dude that dropped crack into black neighborhoods, you're garbage. You know what I mean? You're, you're like, like we, we've officially, you know, that black people know he's garbage. He's trash. Mm-hmm. There, oh, yeah. there are people who, who think he was the greatest American ever. I think he was the worst American ever. One of the worst American ever, ever Americans ever. Worse and, than Nixon? Uh, uh, they're closer than people think. <laughs> they're, 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 Reagan, Reagan was pretty. He, you know, like he was like Nixon was a turd. And then if you like this big old pile of shit. And then if you looked over and you took some gold paint and you spray painted that shit gold and made that shit pretty, Reagan. So that's the problem that you never have. Like, I'm sorry. That comes in wants to actually do anything. You you, you have like a, a, or, or that can counter the bad of the other person, and that's that's kind of the thing. We're we're always caught up in that cycle. 
And what I always tell Michelle in summation is that if we're ever going to do anything, it's going to, because no one is actually interested in ever making us a top of agenda, even now, even in this moment, we got, we got a cup, we got somebody off rice and we got somebody off of syrup. Miss Butterworth, I think is gone. Uh, you know, any mm-hmm. black space on some food is gone. Uh, they master to, bedroom. You know, they trying to get rid of that in Texas. Yeah, master bedroom. Nobody gives a damn. They about to... Not uh, yeah, yeah. We about to have all these... The, the, the Redskins about to not be the Redskins. The Cleveland Man, Indians, the, they're the, going to the, lose their mascot. The, the, uh, the national black anthem uh, every, yeah, we, with we, the every, NFL. Yeah. Everything except cutting the checks. And I'm telling yeah, you, yeah. I believe the straw man... Or police reform. The straw men get more and more outlandish the closer yeah. they, the closer that they get to no excuses. Now, here's my personal opinion. And the statues, I, my bad. That's okay. it, the statues. I yeah. Because 10 years ago, people would have died about them statues. What I believe is that the more that comes out and becomes evident, the stronger the case for reparations, the stronger the case for true inclusion and sharing of the wealth and the stronger the case for restoration of order. So mm. to avoid those things, people are throwing stuff out. It is like being married to a man who goes bowling every Friday night and you say, babe, I want you to spend more time with me. We need to go out on date nights. So what he does is he starts buying you crap. He buys you a little bit time purse. He buys you a coach. He sends you shopping. He do all kind of stuff. Make sure you help, you know, may go to the spa. You do all of that. And then a year and a half later, when you're neglected, you are like, dude, uh, I wanted to spend more time together. And he's like, you're ungrateful. I do all this stuff for you. <laughs> yeah. I love my game. I did this. And here's the real reality. He doesn't want to stop go bowling on Friday nights because that's where his side piece is. So he did all that stuff. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Nick. No, Nick, Nick, stop. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why I got to sit there? Wait a minute. You you didn't turn this into the side chick show. Stop. Stop. No, no, wait a minute. It works. But I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about. No, I know you're not talking about us, but, you know, we got got male listeners. You know, what he said is true, though. I'm talking about. I can't even dispute that. I'm it's talking like, yeah. about no, the maybe wealth, no, the maybe that's just where he relaxes. The side piece, the wealth, the hoarding of power <laughs> is the side piece. They don't, they don't want to give it up because they know <laughs> the side piece is the red lining. The side piece is all these things they doing to keep from bringing their bus at home. That they there don't want to let go of. They don't want to <laughs> let go of that stuff and the syrup. Oh. And the anthem and the master oh. bedroom, all of that is your purse and your bag. Be quiet. That's your this purse. Said, They're running out of stuff. This girl us, said they, her whole name is Red Line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they run out of stuff. To symbolic. sum this up. Wow. They're literally running out of stuff to symbolically give up. The next thing will be from now on, we'll make all furniture white so y'all can sit down on now, white. Now, just be but Adrian, they even gave up talking about the casting of cartoon characters? Yeah, Come on. I mean, but, but here's my biggest issue with the whole thing. Why are they mad about something that we didn't ask for? That we ain't asked for. 
We yeah, didn't ask for any of this. But this, I mean, we saw people. We've not asked for We saw people talk about, I'll kneel with this song. And I mean, fine. I mean, and Warren was like, uh, what is a black national anthem anyway? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I thought people were one nation. You know? I didn't know that blacks had a separate anthem. I saw that. And I was like, I mean, yeah. man. You and know, one, like, you know you telling me I'm not civilized. And I'm just like, okay. One dude said something, and I ran in there and said something. That dude had to just like what I said. He couldn't even come back. He was just like, "Oh, well, see, yeah, you was, you, you was, you, you manhandled him too strong." See, I came with a soft approach, and he liked mm-hmm. my comment, Adrian. I don't, see, I don't know. See, you came at him awkward, okay. you know. But then he had to like my comment. He just shut it down. He's like, "I can't disagree with that." Because I'm tired of coming at like people know people. That's what I'm saying. People being purposely obtuse. Like people know Reagan was a terrible president. People know all these things. Like they, mm-hmm. no, they, no, man, they claim, they claim he, Reagan he is the best to this day. Reaganomics, Reaganomics. Like if I, right. I was a, if I was a Caucasian rich person, Reagan would be my guy. And maybe even if I was a middle class person. Uh, Caucasian, oh, most definitely, most be definitely, because you benefited, right? I have the right to say that Reagan, because I, all three of us. I have a feeling I'm gonna shut up after this and let everybody <laughs> sign off and do all this stuff. But all three of us grew up at some point. No, no, I saw a crack hit my neighborhood mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So I was there. I saw I saw people I saw it good then go bad. Literally. Yeah, yeah. I saw the family saw members be straight professionals, then all of a sudden strung out. Strung all the way out. I saw I, it was like a bomb. It hit your neighborhood, and you looked up, and people who were normal one day were as bad as they've ever been. So someone can say, "Oh, what Adrian said about Reagan is un- unpatriotic." It's not because Mm-mm. if you lived it, if you saw it, if you saw what it did to people, if you saw what it did to family members, and then you realized that that was, it was intentional, intentional. That's horrific, and that somebody there's that's one thing that no one will ever back me off of. That's that's. There's a whole bunch of stuff that people aren't going to back me off of because I'm stubborn. But like that's that one, of one them. thing I'm with you. I have the right, just like they talk about Barack Obama. I will say that about Reagan. When 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 Orange Klansman is out of the office, I'm going to say that about him because I'm watching it. I'm watching. Well, I, it I, I know some things Adrian need to back off of. He need to back off them purple and gold Lakers. I, I know that. No, but go Lakers, you know. man. Lakers. <laughs> Go, go Jim, Jimmy, if you're listening, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hip this boy up, I'm trying to hip him up. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. But hey, but we hey, might on, win on this that COVID note, championship this year. I'm, I'm not backing well, off. Well, well, I don't know. We're gonna see if we got a season. But I mean, uh, to our listeners, I just need y'all to understand that uh, this was a devastation that happened uh, to our black communities, our brothers and sisters that were in the army, the navy, air force, marines. They were promised a bill and 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 you know lied to i mean just straight lied to and it wasn't yeah. any rhyme or reason other than the color of their color skin. skin and uh so uh you know at the end of the day we gotta continue to press and this is why it's so important to vote uh please make sure that you are registered uh if you get a chance uh you can like our page on facebook we do now have a facebook page uh you can subscribe to us through that uh, but we do appreciate all of uh, all of your ears, all of uh, your uh, viewership there, and uh, we just want to tell you thank you for that. Now uh, we did have a survey that I did 
uh, have on the Facebook page where it asks, uh, can uh, minorities uh, also be, uh, no, can minorities be racist uh, towards people in, you know, I didn't think anybody was going to say no, but we did have a few that did say no. So uh, it was 33% no and 77% yes. We so can be prejudiced. We can't be racist because we don't have that kind of power. See, 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 now, now, now you're telling. Okay, so we might end up discussing that later on. Yeah, uh, people need on, to understand on, the real definition of racism. There you go. See, so that's the reason why mm-hmm. I kind of asked that question because it just depends on how you view it you know so we do appreciate you guys um you know um being active on the on the um oh i just lost my words there on the poll on the the survey Mm -hmm. and uh so uh continue to uh give us an ear give us a listen uh if you have any questions concerns comments again we got some uh got some praise uh uh, last week uh on the last podcast and we we do appreciate that because we are doing it to enhance um, you know, um, how can I say knowledge and wisdom and making sure that, uh, that we understand what we're up against so that we can, you know, come up with a plan. And, uh, Nikki stated last week, you know, you know, it's time out for us just talking about what we should do. We need to start formulating plans and, 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 and implementing them, uh, in our own uh, communities. So again, we thank you. Thank you for listening to strange fruit and, uh, Nikki, you take care of yourself till next time, Adrian. I don't know what we're gonna Thank do with you. you. Uh, I'm gonna try to be less of a. I'm gonna try not to curse um, as much next time. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank y'all for listening. Good night, guys. Good, Good night. night y'all.